Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Thanks, Francis, very much. Good morning, everybody. Transforming truth. Here we go. Thinking about God coming and living among us, an unexpected visitor, to say the least. If you were God, perish for thought, if you were God, would you have come? And where in the world would you have gone? And at what time in history? That's not a rhetorical question. Where, where would you have come and at what time in history? The incarnation means quite literally enfleshment. We have the word chili con carne. Chili with flesh. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? All you vegetarians are smiling to yourselves. Literally, Jesus enfleshed himself, came in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling, his home, his residence among us. Who loves camping? Four of you. There's nothing not to love about camping, is there? Can anybody think of any good reason why you wouldn't love to camp? Loads more response to that question than to the one about the incarnation, I know. I know this is very hard for some of you to imagine. You have spent days packing the car and the tent and getting everything together. You are utterly exhausted and wonder why on earth you are ever going on this camping trip in the first place. And you arrive at the camping field. What do those triangles already represent? They are brilliant, my artistic delight. Now, you have the question that has finished many marriages. What's the question? Yes, where are you going to pitch your tent? Top left. Who said that, Jono? Top left. I think Jono absolutely right that almost all of us would pitch our tent top left. Why? Where are the toilets? (laughs) I'm not telling you where the toilets are. And the reason most of us would pitch our tent at top left is because it is as far away from everybody else as is physically possible in the field. You with me? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've also pitched your tent next to the wrong people. You can travel all the way to the south of France and find that you're next to the wrong people. It's quite alarming. When Jesus came, he pitched his tent right in the middle. In fact, you could argue that he went as close as it was possible to go. He literally not just became a human being, 
But he became a particular human being at a particular time with a particular ethnicity, a particular accent. He literally incarnated himself into a particular situation and environment. And the truth of the incarnation is this. And in a sense, the truths have been building since the fall, if you've been following our Transforming Truth series. When it all went wrong and we kind of walked out on God, we heard the amazing truth that God still speaks to his creation. A few weeks ago when Kerry so helpfully took us through the ways that we can hear God speak, God hasn't gone silent on us. He is still speaking to us. And then last week, you might say, more remarkable still, God doesn't just speak to us but he has remained providentially involved in his world, involved in his creation. If you like today, that journey not quite reaches a crescendo. We'll have to wait till next week for that. But but goes one step forward further. More incredibly, it's not simply that God has remained involved in his creation. More credible still is that God himself has become part, has visited his creation creation. The creator has become a creature. The theater owner has appeared on his own stage. He's entered our dimensions, our physicality, our chronology, our sets of interrelationships and constraints. If that be the case, then it is not just an event in history. His visitation of our planet becomes the event of all history, of all time. Indeed, the time has fully come, which is what Paul expresses in Galatians. When the, when the time reached its fulfillment, when this journey, this progression of God's work in the world reached its climactic moment, God himself sent his son born of a woman, born of flesh, born under law, born under the same constraints that we ourselves find ourselves in. And so rightly and so honorably, we center our time, not around British summertime or GMT. Nice to see you all here this morning. Look out for those who are about to arrive, because that will be fun, won't it? But BC and AD, the event of all time. God has become part of us. Now, in all sorts of other places, if you're interested, I've talked a lot about how do we understand God in Jesus to be fully God and fully man all at the same time. We're not going to talk about that today. Plenty of places where I talk about that, and you can chase that up if you're interested. I'll put something on social media or send me a message, and I'll point you in the right direction. I I want to just highlight three things that the incarnation not just teaches us, But the incarnation screams at us. God could not have said it louder with any words than the way he demonstrated it in Jesus. And the first is the incarnation speaks of his care for each and every one of us. You see, care requires understanding. It's really hard for you to feel cared for by someone that you know does not understand anything about the experience that you are facing. In fact, the Bible makes that kind of measure of itself, that the God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. There's a sense in which out of our own experience, we can offer that sense of care and comfort for others because we come to them as someone who knows, who understands. 
And God never asks of us something that he hasn't already done himself. If Jesus is not fully human, then he doesn't understand me. If Jesus was not fully human, then he has no idea what I face, what I feel, or even what I fear. If Jesus is not fully human, there will always be a huge gulf between us because he can never adequately put himself in my shoes. It's a bit like having afternoon tea with the Queen, another experience that we are all familiar with. Some of you would rather go camping now than have afternoon tea with the Queen. And and what do you have? You have Earl Grey and... Oh, cucumber sandwiches. Cucumber. I was going to say scones, or is it scones? Is it? Gosh, you're really vocal, people, about the things that matter. Cucumber sandwiches. The trouble with afternoon tea with the Queen is it's difficult to know what you would talk about where you could make a real connection. You can't ask her whether she has trouble unloading the shopping when the supermarket van arrives. Or whether the substitutions that they give you are really annoying because they don't make any sense. You ask for lemon drizzle cake and you end up with lemon antibacterial bathroom cleaner. That kind of thing. She would not know what you were talking about. She's never queued for a bus. She's never sat in a traffic jam in quite the way we have. She's never stayed on the phone for three hours talking to the customer services of your broadband provider and so on. There's so many things she's got no idea about. And we can begin to see how that becomes a problem when we approach God because there must surely be so many things he knows nothing about. Stuck up in heaven while we struggle out our days on earth, just like we might say of the queen, what does she really understand about what it's like to live in her kingdom? We might say of God, what does he really understand about what it's like for us to live on this earth? Why would I run to him? Why would I connect with him? What would he know or understand? Unless, of course, he's been here. Unless, of course, he's faced it from our end, seen it from our side. Unless, of course, the immortal has become mortal, God himself has become man. The incarnation, of course, reminds us that he has. It's been one of those days. I don't mean today, I just mean generally, metaphorically speaking. You know, those kind of days that we've all had. When your head hits the pillow, you turn out the light, and you're relieved to have made it. Simply to have survived to the end of the day seems like a level of success. Jesus knows what those days are like. The passage that Francis read to us comes at the end of the most awful day, apart from perhaps the cross, that Jesus is experiencing. He's lost his cousin, John the Baptist. All kinds of things are going wrong. The crowd are misunderstanding him. They're pressing in on him. He's tried to take a break, and they've stopped him from taking a break. So in a human sense, Jesus is having the kind of days that cause us to hit the pillow and be grateful that we have survived. And in that moment... Late at night, at the end of that day, we read these amazing words about Jesus coming to the disciples on the lake. 
And to put that into context, as Jesus comes to those disciples caught up in a storm on the lake, the Bible wants to make absolutely clear that the Jesus who comes to us is the Jesus who understands what it's like to be us. Hebrews put it like this. We don't have a high priest who, who, who can't understand, who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. I love the way that the message translates uh, that particular verse. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. Or J.B. Phillips, for those of you who are a little older, we have no superhuman high priest to whom our weaknesses are unintelligible. And so we have a Jesus who understands. And because he understands, we are able to begin to open up the truth of who we are, knowing that there can be a real connection. This is how God showed his love among us. He came to us as one Who understands. You see, to care, you not only have to understand, but you have to come close. To care for someone, there needs to be a level of proximity. For example, we wouldn't dream of sending our children away, or at least not without providing some other care for them. How would we care for them if they were far from us? Sometimes we bring our older parents back to us or we move to be near them because we know how can we care for them unless we are nearby to them. And so not only do we have in the incarnation the reminder that God understands, we also have this reality that God comes close, which takes us right back to that story I was talking about on the lake. You see, for those disciples, a storm had arisen, and the storms on Galilee would just come out of the blue. Out of a clear blue sky, suddenly there would be this squall, this storm, and some of their fishermen friends probably would have died on that lake, such was the severity of those storms from time to time. And so here we see them, a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, and Mark's Gospel tells us that they were straining on the oars. Maybe that's how you feel right now. You're a long way from shore. The storm has come up, maybe out of nowhere. Your life is straining at the moment. And like those disciples, maybe you're asking, where is Jesus? This is where Jesus is. He's coming, walking on the water. And remember the day that he's had. He understands what you are experiencing right now. He gets what it is to be caught in a storm. He understands life from our perspective, from our point of view. He's been there, he's felt it, he's faced it himself. So maybe we too need to hear the words those early disciples desperately needed to hear, which is this Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm close by. It's not just that I understand, but that I'm near to you. There is a proximity. He's there in 
the storm. He knows what it's like. And know verse 34 where uh, Francis went on to read this lovely but very simple phrase. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Jesus got them to the other side. Hello? There's a storm. And Jesus comes to them in the storm as one who understands, who's one who is close by, and he gets them to the other side. He provides for them. He takes care of them. The Son of Man came to provide for us, to seek and to save that which was lost. This is good news. Not only speaks of his care, but secondly, and very quickly, it speaks of his courage, of his courage. If our celebration of the incarnation at Christmas is littered with images of warmth, safety, and security, I suspect the first Christmas was anything like that. God comes to a place that's harsh and real. God's coming was risky and raw. God's coming was naked and vulnerable and exposing, and rough, and dangerous, and desperate. At the heart of God's coming is the courage that he took, not for comfort or safety, or for the security of old familiar things, not even the warmth of family and friends. At the heart of Christmas, at the heart of the incarnation, lies immense courage. What outrageous indescribable, extravagant, and utterly absurd courage for God who was outside of time to become constrained by time. What incredible courage for God who was outside of the universe to place himself within it. For God to shrink down and down and down and down to become confined, closeted, constrained in the womb of a teenage girl. And then, ironically, to be wrapped tightly in swaddling bands. Have you ever thought about that? It's one way to sort your baby out, isn't it? Wrap them so tight they can barely breathe. Look, they're sleeping well now. Hands that flung stars into space. How expansive can you get? Look like something else, doesn't it? How constrained, what courage, what vulnerability for the God who controls the heavens to become as helpless and as vulnerable as a baby. Some of you will be following some of the work of Brené Brown and the way she's bringing vulnerability and courage back onto the agenda in uh, uh, leadership and in uh, just in, in a good sense of emotional and all intelligence. But God demonstrates all of that first. The courage that the divine took in becoming vulnerable. And as Brené Brown talks about, vulnerability, the courage required to become vulnerable is what creates connectedness. When we're vulnerable with one another, it creates the opportunity for connection. When we're standoffish, when we're controlled, when we're not vulnerable, when we hide ourselves away, there is very little connectedness. But when we are vulnerable, the whole journey of connectedness opens up. The incarnation is is God being vulnerable in the most outstanding way to open up connectedness 
with us. And think about the courage it would have taken for God to come to earth. How much courage does it take for you to walk into a room with people that perhaps you don't know or to an environment and you're not sure what's going to happen next? That's really quite tough, isn't it? Some of us will even stand on the outside of that kind of environment and in the end not go in because we're nervous, because we're anxious about it. So think about for a moment the anxiety in God's heart coming to earth. What if he came to earth and we ignored him? What if he came to earth and we left him out in the cold? What if earth's kings made no room for this heavenly king? What if the religious people would think they needed to teach him stuff about God and heaven and right and wrong? What if God came and he suffered the worst that human beings could do? Imagine if his ethnicity left him hated from birth. Imagine if his peasant country accent made him a mockery every time he spoke in the big city. What if people disliked him, mocked him, rejected him, hurt him? What if God came and somebody killed him? Surely a God like that would be several strings short of a harp. Or exhibit immense courage to rescue us. How did God the Father feel? Watching his son emerge in all that vulnerability. G.K. Chesterton writes profoundly, I think, Alone of all the creeds, Christianity has added courage to the virtues of the Creator. And lastly... The incarnation speaks of his care. It speaks of immense courage. But the incarnation therefore speaks of his call on our lives. Such courage showed by the divine disturbs my timidity. Shakes my meekness. Challenges my own self-protection, my own refusal to take risks, my own apprehension. Can I live a life of self-protection, guarding my vulnerability, protecting my feelings? Well, no, probably not. If I want to live for the God who has already made himself courageously vulnerable for me. The incarnation calls me to leave my comfort To exhibit that same courage to reach out into a broken and hurting world with the care that comes from heaven. So profoundly marred and muddled, we have created, if we, in a historical sense, a longing that all human beings have for safety and for comfort. And we have replicated church environments that seek to protect our sense of Comfort and security. And yet as the Father sent me, said Jesus, so now I'm sending you. And one of the most exciting things, or if not the most exciting thing, about being part of this church is the way we have recaptured that sense of cranking up the risk, increasing the level of courage, 
turning our back on our own sense of safety and fear of rejection to reach out to those that God has given us where we are. It's a beautiful thing. And there are all kinds of changes going on in church life and, and, and in the world at large. Committed people come to church now twice a month rather than four times. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just highlighting what happens here and everywhere else. And so there are less people seated and that makes us anxious. And if that's the measure, we should be very anxious. But if the measure is how many of us are feeling sent... How many of us are grasping that sense that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone, I'm reaching out beyond myself, I'm having the courage to be vulnerable with those around me, I'm seeing my workplace, my neighborhood, my whatever it is, as the place God has put me in mission, then we've got, I think, more people feeling sent than we've ever had before. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think Jesus absolutely loves that. That's amazing. I'd never thought of it like that before. The courage of Jesus to actually come, make himself vulnerable. And he was rejected. Let us just reflect for a moment. Lord God, I pray and I ask that you will open my heart. Enable me to be courageous, to be vulnerable. Enable me to open my front door and welcome people in. Enable me to go out at work or wherever I find myself, to go out in your name. And to be courageous in talking about you. Jesus, pitch your tent among us. Dwell with us in our homes and in our hearts. Your plans are always perfect. You came incarnate. You understand us. You understand our pain and our disappointment. When we're too busy... You understand, you care, you come close, and so we can rest in your arms by faith. So let us not be afraid, for you are there leading us, holding us, and providing for us. Oh, Father God, you are amazing. And I will bless the Lord at all times, for he is good. Let us sing together. He is good. I can't help shouting it aloud. I will bless the Lord at all times. <laughs>